This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right. This is Yaron Brook filling in for Mike Opelka. It's our last day. Uh, Mike is back tomorrow. And please, please don't hold him responsible for everything that I've said. I thought this morning we do something a little uh, different. I thought for change, here's a radical thought. I thought for change we talk about some positive things, some good stuff happening in the world, at least for the first hour or so, and then we'll see where we go from there. We can't stay too positive for too long. I don't think that's allowed by the rules of talk radio. Um, but but let, let's let's really consider this. I mean, there's so much negativity out there. There's so much bad stuff. I mean, objectively bad stuff. There's so much complaining and and um, and real problems that exist in the world we forget and and i think i think people are psychologically wired to really focus on the negative to focus on the risks to focus on 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 the world coming to an end i mean uh, one piece of good news is hey the world didn't end and we had a full eclipse on monday i mean that's that's got to be good news I'm sure there were some millennial cults out there that were just predicting uh, the end of the world. Uh, but there's a lot of good news. There is a lot of good stuff happening in the world, and there has been for a long time. Again, in spite of the negativity, in spite of Donald Trump, in spite of his rhetoric, there's a lot to celebrate in the world in in which we live. And I want to dedicate at least some time for this. I'm also you know, uh, uh, interested in um, in hearing from you guys, you know, if you guys, uh, you know, what's positive in your world? What's been positive in your world? What what would you say have been some of the positive trends over the last 5, 10, 20, 30 years that you've noticed that you would like to talk about? 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Looking for positive stories, looking for you know things that that uh, have, have have improved life, have improved life for you, have improved life in the world. If you think that are just are just cool and uh, and important and good, leave the negatives for later. Right, we're just focusing on some some good news for change. Right, so I'm just going to pick a, a date, somewhat arbitrarily, but because I have some data on it, so it's not completely arbitrary. Um, and that that date is uh, is 1990. And and let me let me also say this before we get into. And I want to compare 1990 to today, um, and 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 look at some trends and and look at what's happened. But um, let let me give you the standard. We talked yesterday with Alex Epstein, and we talked about the standard. How do you how do you evaluate? Uh, you know whether we're better off or worse off than we were in the past. If if global warming is actually hurting us or helping us. How, how do you evaluate these things? And, and my standard is always, is it good for human being? Is human life better off? Is individual human life better off today than it was in the past? And, uh, you know, I, I've been accused of being a globalist. And in a sense, I'm a globalist in a sense that I care about human life. I don't just care about American life. I don't just care about... Um, uh, my neighbor's life, I, you know, I, I, I value human beings and I, I, I care globally, are things better off or not? 
I'm not a globalist. Don't don't stop panicking, guys. Don't you know? Um, in a sense of, I don't believe in global government. I don't believe in global governance. But I certainly believe in, as we'll talk about, global trade and 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 I care that you know about what's happening in the world. And uh, it's interesting that a lot of the good statistics, a lot of the the most positive things happening in the world, are actually happening outside the United States for a variety of reasons, partially because. We've been screwing it up for the last um, 50 years. But but even in the U.S., we'll talk about that as well. Good stuff is happening. All right, let, 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 let's start by the kind of the big story. The big headline story of the last 30 years should be if you actually, uh, you know, if we actually had a media that was actually engaged in reporting important news rather than important negative news or, or promoting a particular uh, ideology or a particular political point of view, if they actually were focused on what is going on in the world, you'd think that's what they, and, and positive or negative. Probably the most important story of the last 30 years is the fact that there are somewhere between one to two billion people, billion with a B, who were poor in 1990, desperately poor in 1990, and are not what the what what it's called extreme poverty. Are not in extreme poverty anymore. So, extreme poverty is is defined, I think, by by the UN or by somebody as as a dollar ninety a day. Uh, in nineteen ninety, one point nine billion people, one point nine billion people, thirty seven percent of the entire population of the world, thirty seven percent of the entire population of the world, almost forty percent of the entire population of the world lived in what is defined as extreme poverty. That was 1990, 27 years ago, less than 30 years ago, right? Almost 40%. Now, if you go back far enough, right? If you go back two, 300 years ago, 100% of the world lived in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty that you cannot imagine today how bad it was. So 1.9 billion people just 27 years ago lived in extreme poverty. Today, or at least 2015, two years ago, the number was 700 million. Still a huge number, but only 9.6% of the population of the earth. Notice, from 1990 to 2015, the population of the world grew quite a bit. And yet the number of people in extreme poverty shrunk dramatically, dramatically. From almost 40% to less than 10%. The first time in human history that fewer than 10% are people on the planet living in extreme poverty. A 74.1% decline. 74.1% decline. Now, why did this happen? Did this happen because of foreign aid? Did this happen because of anti-poverty programs uh, initiated by the United Nations? Did this happen because of philanthropists like um, Bill Gates and others spending gazillions of dollars all over the world? No. No. Almost the entire decline, if not the entire decline, happened because of one simple idea gaining a little bit of traction 
one can only imagine if it gained a lot of traction, a little bit of traction in the world out there. And that idea is the value of individual life, the value of individual freedom, in a sense, individualism, not as a complete system of ideas, not as a, a well-understood philosophical principle, but just a respect for the individual and a respect for the individual's freedom. And therefore, an unshackling of the individual. And you see this primarily across Asia. You've seen the beginnings of it across Africa. You, you're definitely seeing that, right, in Eastern Europe. Remember 1990, a year before, you know, the, the Soviet empire completely dissolves. Right? So you're seeing, you're seeing individualism, this unshackling of the individual, the growth of individual freedom uh, happen all over Asia, Eastern Europe, in the beginnings, really just the beginnings in Africa. And the consequences are astounding. Poverty drops dramatically in places like India, which started embracing elements, a little bit of freedom, free markets in the early 1990s. Some liberalization, trade liberalization, we'll talk about trade more. Uh, opening up less, slightly less emphasis on the caste system, which is, which is this really racist, uh, uh, maybe racist is not the right term, maybe it's not by race, but you're born into a particular caste, you're born into a particular position in life, and that's it. It's fixed in stone. It cannot be changed. A little bit like the feudal system in, in, in Europe, but, but even more extreme uh, of, of the, the pre-capitalist era in Europe. And a shift, slow shift. Nothing, I mean, I wish it was more dramatic in India. Towards more freedom, more capitalism, more markets. And the result is explosion in economic growth. Dramatic decline in poverty, uh, dramatic increase in the participation of people uh, in in um, in business. Uh, you know, a dramatic increase in the, in the number of high tech companies. Uh, you know, huge, dramatic improvement in the in the in the Indian economy. And the same, of course, in China. China again, small increases, small. You know, of, of the government stepping back and allowing individual freedom. If you went to China in the 1970s, what you saw are masses of people dressed in gray, dressed the same, heads down, shuffling along with no personality, no life to them, dirt poor, in the countryside, literally starving. And today you go to Shanghai and it's one of the most astounding cities in the world. Skyscrapers everywhere, dynamic people engaged. They're vibrant. They dress in vibrant, engaging ways. They, they look Western in a sense of, of how they dress and, and much of how they behave. Um, there's energy. Uh, they, they, they're walking straight. They, you know, they're proud of their achievements. The, the, the buildings are tall. Yes, there's still poverty in China but nothing like they used to be, and there's nobody dying of starvation. Hundreds of millions of people have come out of poverty, not just extreme poverty, any kind of poverty, just in China 
over the last 30 years because of more freedom, because of treating the individual with respect, allowing the individual to have some freedom. Now, not fully. There's still a lot of oppression in China, and we'll get to some of the real problems that have to do with trade with China. But essentially, freedom to the extent that it is practiced, capitalism, in other words, free markets, respect for private property, respect for the rule of law, Capitalism, to the extent that it is tried, eradicates poverty. And we've seen it in Asia. And, and it's not just in these places. Look at Hong Kong, where poor people arrive and they don't stay poor in Hong Kong. Look at Singapore. Look at South Korea. Do you know that South Korea in the 1950s was poorer than North Korea? Post-war South Korea, in the Korean War, was poorer than North Korea. Today, it's one of the richest countries in the world. And, and that means individuals are wealthy. Uh, Taiwan. And, and, and even countries like Thailand and, uh, and, and even countries like Vietnam uh, are much, much better than they used to be. Rates of extreme poverty in all these countries have plummeted. Now, we should be celebrating that. We should be out in the streets. This is fantastic news. It's fantastic news for everybody. If you care about human beings, and I know, uh, you know, we objectivists, I'm an objectivist, uh, a, 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 um, dedicated to the philosophy of Ayn Rand, we're supposed to be selfish and not care about anybody else. And yet it's all those people out there who say they care about people really don't. They don't care about the world. They don't care, you know, they, they, have, they have no benevolence towards other people. I'm, I'm hugely benevolent because I'm selfish. Because I care about my own life, I know the value of life. And when I see other people suffering, you know, that's sad. Because I know what, what they're capable of. I know what's possible. I know what, they, what, what it feels like to be successful in life, to have a good life. And I also know that when other people are successful, it helps me. It helps me. It makes my life better. And that's true for my neighbor next door. But, and they, but that's also true for somebody across the world. And, and we'll talk about how progress in China and progress in India has made life in America better, dramatically better in my view, in spite of the demonization of these countries, the demonization of trade. I mean, it, it, it is nuts in my view. But trade in China has made this country so much better. So, you know, I value human beings. And when I see human life improving, that is a cause of celebration. But there's also another aspect of this. Why is their life improving? Why is their life improving? Can't we learn something from the fact that their life is improving? Now, I think we could have learned that, that lesson just by looking at our own history and how did we go from 300 years ago, all of us living under extreme poverty, to where we are today. We could have learned from that. But given that we didn't learn from that, maybe we can learn by looking at these other countries. And when you look at these other countries, you see the same story over and over and over again. Even countries today that see improving economics, improving wealth creation, improving standard of livings in Africa have the same lesson. If you respect property rights, to some extent even, like in China, if you respect 
contract laws. If you respect individual freedom to choose their own profession, to, 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 you know, to deal in the marketplace freely, at least to some extent, wealth is created. People, people are more productive and the world around them is a better place, a much, much better place everywhere, everywhere in the world. Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what ethnic group you are. Doesn't matter what continent you're on. None of that matters. None of that matters. People, when they are free, are productive and creative and, and, and get out of poverty fairly quickly. Now, you know, you have to build the infrastructure. Freedom can't survive by itself, right? Anarchy doesn't work. What you need is a legal system. What you need is the protection of individual rights. What you need, to some extent, again, what you need is some kind of government that protects property rights or at least respects property rights. And, and, and you have that, at least to some extent, in places like India and China and, and elsewhere. Right? So where you have that, we have governments that allow individuals to be free within the and, and, and at the same time establish a, a system that respects state property. That's, uh, you know, that's when human beings do well. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to your Ron Brook on the Opelka, Michael Opelka Show. We'll be right back after this break. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, actually, it's still Yaron Brook here, but but uh, Mike will be back tomorrow. So uh, here's a here's an exercise. Uh, we have to go to another break in like two and a half minutes. Here's another exercise for you guys. Think back, those of you old enough, like I am, think back to 1990. What were you doing? What was life like? Day-to-day life. What kind of gadgets were you using? What kind of stuff were you doing? How much wealth did you have? What size home did you have? What kind of work were you doing? And, and compare to today. Just do that. Just, just contemplate that over the next break. And if you feel like it, give me a call and let me know what you think. Uh, you know, and, and what, what, what that was like. 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. Um, let me tell you. In 1990, I was a student, graduate student. I was getting my PhD. I had a one-year-old uh, son. I um, I was living on, I don't know, something like $15,000 a year in Austin, Texas. Uh, the largest expense, uh, we actually kept track of our monthly expenses because we had so little money. My largest expense was diapers. Um, going out was like going to McDonald's or going you know, somewhere to get a banana split. That was like, whoa, that was being extravagant. Um, I had a little computer, a Mac SE30, SE30. And uh, it had a little black and white screen. And it had as much memory as I was going to say a memory stick, but there is no memory stick so small as to have the total memory of that computer. That's how little memory that computer had. Um, so 
tiny little apartment projector today. I mean, it's like it, it can't even compare, right? I just moved to the U.S. three years earlier. My conclusion is this is still a country where if you come, you work hard, you, you really devote yourself to making your life better, you can still achieve, you can still succeed. You know, I'm living the good life. And now I have two monitors, a massive computer. I have like seven different computing devices in my home, all more powerful, all more powerful than the computer that sent the man to the moon during the Apollo mission. Life is pretty good. Life is pretty good. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about good news. You're listening to Ron Brook on The Michael Pelka Show. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. So to those of you who are regular uh, Apelka listeners, uh, and if you've enjoyed the last uh, few days, uh, you can join us. Uh, I have a regular show here on The Blaze, same place on the internet, uh, every Sunday, every Sunday between 2 to 4 East Coast time, between 2 to 4 East Coast time, you've got the Iran Brooks show on The Blaze. I hope some of you will join us on Sunday. Why limit your... Uh, blaze network radio to uh to uh middle of the week or to just a week weekends a great time to uh to listen to good stuff on the blaze all right so we were talking about how amazing the world is i, I know that you know i i'm, I'm thinking i'm maybe i'm boring you guys because i know people people are just not they don't seem interested in good news right there's just not a market for good news this is why the press doesn't cover it you think the press is just all negative. The reason the press is negative is because we, the consumers, are not interested in hearing good news. So uh, headlines are always negative. They, you, you almost never hear about the good stuff going on in the world. Um, but we're going we're gonna to keep on going. We're going to keep on going. A lot of good news still to cover, right? So we talk about kind of this, this decline in poverty. This is, uh, you can see this in, in the fact that world hunger by a variety of different measures. I mean, all these organizations have different measures for this stuff has declined by 40% since 1990. Child mortality has gone down by more than half. Um, and, uh, you know, by every one of these measures of human well-being, there are fewer people who are poor. There are fewer people who are struggling. There are fewer people who are hungry. There are fewer people who are just dying out there, uh, particularly, particularly kids, uh, where it's, if you will, where it's, you know, where it's curable. Because of the huge advantage since we in the West have made in medicine. And, you know, those are now accessible to anybody who has a little bit of money all over the world. That, that's a huge advantage. One of the huge advantages China and India and all these other countries have is that a lot of the capital, particularly a lot of the thinking that has gone into developing new technologies, developing uh, new health treatments, uh, how to develop markets, how to protect property rights has already been done. They don't have to invest in that. They can just capitalize on it. Good for them. That's great. 
They should be a little bit more thankful to us. But anyway, that's good for them. That's great. I mean, we live in an amazing world, in an amazing global world. And, and one of the things, one of the things that, that is amazing about this world is our ability to see it. Ability to travel and see it. Do you know that airline tickets on average, again, globally, have declined by over 50% in real dollars over the last 27 years since 1990? 50%. It's much, much cheaper today to see the world, to travel, to go to Asia or to Africa or to, or to, or to Europe or anywhere. And, and once you get there, everything is cheaper. Hotels are cheaper, cars are cheaper, travel, everything about travel is cheaper than certainly than it used to be a hundred years ago when nobody traveled anywhere, where it took months or weeks to go anywhere. Today you could travel from LA to, to, to New York in what, a hundred bucks? I mean, yeah, the, the discount airlines. And this is what's changed is, is we complain bitterly all the time. Oh, there's not enough room in the seats and it's so crowded and they don't give us, you know, three course meals anymore and we go we get us peanuts but but that's because that's what we want right we have gravitated towards discount airlines because you know what the money's more important to us than comfort that's the conclusion all airlines have come to right most people are not willing to pay extra for comfort what they do want is to get from point a to point b at the lowest cost possible so you've got dozens of new airlines all over the world over the developed over the last 20 years that specialize in discount flying. You can fly, there's some flights in Europe that you can get for like under 20 bucks. Under 20 bucks you can get on an airplane and fly because they're selling their excess capacity. And, and, and you know, these discount airlines are relatively profitable and, uh, and, and you know, they're, they're doing great. They've, in many respects, replaced big, cumbersome, state-subsidized airlines. And you've got them all over Europe, all over Asia, and all over the United States. And, and that's the sector that's going the fastest in the airline business. And it's making it possible for us to travel all over the world at half the price. And the number of people traveling has gone through the roof. So the number of passengers traveling has increased dramatically. So more of us are traveling around the world and seeing the world. That's got to be a good thing, right? It's, it, 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 again, my standard for what's good is that which enhances individual life. And seeing the world, I think, enhances individual life. It, it, it's fun. It's educational. You know, I don't believe all cultures are the same, but I do believe there's a lot to be learned from observing other cultures. And it's interesting. And, and some of what's to be learned from observing other cultures is what not to do. Some of the reason to go to countries where there is real poverty is, is to remember what that's like, to get a sense of what that's like. Remember, not remember in the sense that you ever lived that way, because when you go to Cambodia and you see real poor people, you've never lived that poor. But our ancestors did. And something, something made it possible for us not to live that poor anymore. And it's good for us once in a while to remember what that something is. It's called freedom it's called capitalism all the stuff that we're abandoning that's what led to this fantastic life and if we want to go back to living in real poverty then yeah embrace the agenda of the regressives on the left and on the right 
abandon global trade, abandon free markets, regulate Google and Amazon, and uh, yeah, break them all up. That is the path to poverty. That is the path to destructiveness. All right. So airline, airlines, who would have thought that there's good news in the airline industry? But the fact is, it's cheaper. We travel more. More of the world is accessible. They have added hundreds of additional airports are now accessible to everyday travelers than were available in the past. They, they used to be the story that, oh, what about those little rural airports? Nobody's going to go there if we just leave it to private enterprise, particularly in Europe and in Asia. This was the story. It, you hear it today. Oh, we've got to subsidize rural access to phones and Internet and all this stuff because competition won't go there. Well, all these little airports, you can now go above the Arctic Circle in Europe, I think in Norway, to a little airport in Norway, you can go all, all kinds of godforsaken places, little airports, and, and who's leading the way? Discount airlines, because they, they can provide cheap transportation there. They don't, don't do it every day, but they can provide enough to justify the route. They can make money off of it, and people want to go to these places. And, and traffic, again, airline traffic, through the roof. We're enjoying life. This is good. All right. We've, I've got a few more positives that I want to talk about, uh, but we have to take a break. We have to pay the bills. Uh, so you're listening to Yaron Brook on the Mike Opoka Show on the Blaze Radio Network, and we'll be right back after this. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, this is Yaron uh, Brook, and we're talking about positive things today, which is kind of bizarre because nobody ever talks about positive things. Uh, and I underestimated in the previous segment, I underestimated um, the, the degree to which global airfares have come down. So in 1995, the average round-trip ticket globally was over $1,000. The average round-trip ticket today is, is close to $250. And then if you look at um, the number of airports served, just between, uh, let me see, just between 1995, it was just under 10,000 airports. Today, it's almost 20,000 airports. Where do they find 10,000 additional airports? How do, where did those come from? I mean, if that isn't an indication of human well-being around the world, of the fact that people are traveling, they have enough money to travel, that there's demand for this travel, and that there are airports in 10,000 new places that didn't exist in 1995. That's pretty amazing. That's stunning. That's good news. And I can go visit those. There's a few airports I haven't been to yet. Not many, but a few. This is so, you know, air travel is pretty amazing, but, but, Across the board, right? I haven't even gotten to technology. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's one that that kind of surprises a lot of people because of the rhetoric, particularly in this campaign. I mean, if you'd listen to Donald Trump during the campaign, then your sense of crime in America would be that it's never been worse. Um, I mean, really, there are, there are crime is everywhere. Murder rates are skyrocketing. 
people are being murdered, uh, particularly by illegal aliens, but generally, or by immigrants generally, um, that crime was just out of control, out of control. We live in the worst of times when it comes to violent crime in America. That's, I mean, carnage in the streets, I think, was Donald Trump's face. And this wasn't just during the election. This was his, in his, uh, in his uh, inauguration address, which I thought was the most I- I- embarrassing and ignorant and depressing inauguration address ever. Um, carnage in the streets. And yet, when you actually look at crime statistics, 1990 was about the peak. 1990, 91 was like uh, the, the, the most violent period in American history in terms of domestic violence, in terms of violence in the U.S., uh, violent crime. And uh, since then, we've seen a steady, almost uninterrupted decline in violence to the point where two years ago, it was one of the most peaceful periods in terms of uh, violent crime in the United States ever, ever. Now, we've seen a slight increase uh, last year and, and potentially this year. I'm not sure what the stats are on this year. It probably declined because, after all, Donald Trump is president now, so things are getting better. Um, I'm being cynical. But, you know, so, so uh, but compared to the 1990s, early 90s, certainly compared to the 70s and 80s, violent crime in the United States is way, way down. That's pretty amazing. More people are working today. I mean, in spite of the growth of the U.S. population, in spite of computers, in spite of uh, mechanization, in spite of uh, assembly lines of robots, more people, literally the actual number of people working today, is, is higher than it's ever been. So it turns out technology doesn't destroy jobs. It creates jobs. And they're making more money than they did in 1990. I'm sorry. All those statistics that say that wages are stagnant is just not true. Overall, people are now, they're not making as much as they should, um, not making as much as they could be, but, you know, they're making more money. And that money buys more stuff, cooler stuff, better stuff, higher quality stuff, just more efficient, effective stuff. Our standard of living, our quality of life is just higher today. We live longer. How about that? Life expectancy is still increasing. Now, it turns out not if you're white, uh, lower middle class, and I think between the ages of 35 and 55, that age group is actually, their life expectancy is declining because of drugs, alcohol, and suicide. And maybe we'll get to that later. So that's pretty depressing news. But... That's within the context of pretty much everything else, given those stats, uh, you know, pretty good. You know, now it's not as good as it could be. And we're going to talk about that. It could be much, much better. And when we get back uh, after this break in the second hour, I want to talk about why life is better, why all these things are good, and, and talk a little bit about technology, about how that's made our life better. We'll talk about that. But, but what is behind it all? And uh, how, co- how we can accelerate it. How, how can we make it even better, even faster life, you know, to make life even more fulfilling, flourishing, and successful for almost everybody. 
So uh, we're going to talk about that in, um, you know, after the top of the hour, after we take this break, hear some depressing news, and we'll get back to some good news and cause. That's what's really important. What is the cause? All right. You're listening to Yaron Brook uh, on the Mike Pelka show uh, today, and uh, that'll be it. We will talk to you again after this break. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right. All right, you're listening to Ron Brook, uh, filling in for Mike Opelka. Mike will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow. I, I, I've enjoyed this gig. Maybe maybe he'll let me fill in again. We'll see. All right. Um, we're talking about good stuff. We're talking about the positives. We're talking about positive stories. Airline prices declining, lots more options. Um, traveling all over the world, going to unknown places, unknowable places, just a few Years ago, maybe a few decades ago, we're talking about the decline in crime, uh, the increase in life expectancy. Uh, we haven't even talked about technology, right? 1990, there was no internet. I remember in 1990, just starting to use email, right? In within the university system, you had email. Can you imagine life without email and texting and, and the Google and uh, Amazon? How did, we, how, did, how did we buy stuff without Amazon? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, technology has just blown this world up. It's just amazing how much good stuff we have today because of technology. The access we have, the, the supercomputers we have in our pockets, our iPhones, our Samsungs, or whatever you happen to use. If, you know, the fact that I can do this show on the Internet. Anybody in the world can listen anytime. It can be stored online at a cost of basically zero and people can access it globally anywhere in the world at a cost of zero i mean the internet is a revolution that puts to shame the printing press in terms of its potential to change the world and it's all happened recently right the first browser was what 1994 or six i always get those two mixed up right I remember using Netscape, having to pay 75 bucks to use it. Now, not only do we have all this stuff, most of it's free. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty amazing. You could have the Blaze radio, the Blaze TV, even 10 years ago. You know, you couldn't do it. And yet today, you've got the Blaze and then you've got all the competition. Anybody can start it at a relatively low cost, relatively low cost. It's, it's amazing the options that we have, the possibilities we have. Think about Netflix. You can sit today on your sofa, watch almost every movie ever made, not quite, but a lot of movies, more movies than you ever knew existed. You don't have to go out on your sofa with click of a few buttons. You don't even have to get up and change channels on your television. How many of you remember that? Very few, huh? Only a few as old as I am. 
changing channels with your hand, having to get up every time you want to change a channel. I mean, whoa, life is much better now with remote control. Every piece of music, if you have music streaming service at, at a very low cost, you can access pretty much every piece of music that has ever been produced from your sofa in your living room. It's amazing. I mean, the, the advancements of technology is stunning. And, and we're getting to the point where a lot of this technology is going to play into healthcare if we have the, the necessary conditions. Going to play into healthcare. They're going to be able to do gene splicing. They're going to be able to eradicate many of the genetic diseases that we have. Maybe even, you know, before we're born, but suddenly the treatments are going to improve. A life expectancy should go through the roof in the next few decades if we have the right conditions for it. I, I mean, whoa, we should be celebrating how good life is right now. There's this technology, gene splicing technology called CRISP. Don't ask me what it actually does. But it's amazing. They can change genes. They can, they can, they can go into your genetic code and change it. That is so Cool. So cool. And and by the way, more proof of evolution, right? The whole way in which these genes work is, is confirmation of what Darwin believed in. Uh, it, it, that is so cool. It's just science is so cool. And we were discovering so much more, particularly in biology, about, you know, about ourselves and about how to make our lives even better. It, you know, so it's... There's a lot of good stuff in the world. A lot of good stuff in the world. And, uh, you know, think about how much time you spend today online. Now, some people think that's bad. But, I mean, the amount of information you have access on your phone and your computer, pretty much to, to, to all of human knowledge. From pretty much the beginning of time. Again, who would have thunk? Pretty amazing, pretty amazing. Life is pretty amazing. Life is to be celebrated and to be enjoyed, and the good stuff should be the headline because that is what is dominant. We live good lives. There's a lot of bad stuff, and, and the good lives are being threatened. But it's the good that's important in the world, and if we emphasize the positive, if we emphasize the good, and most importantly, if we learn the cause of the good, then we can better fight for it. Then we can better assure that the future is even better than the present. Is even better than the present. I mean, it really is hard. How many of us thought 30 years ago, 40 years ago, about the possibilities of the Internet? I didn't. I don't know about you guys. And I was programming 30 years ago. I, I was in the computer world, right? I was, I was doing some programming. I, I, I took some computer science uh, courses. and So I was somewhat dabbling in that world, you could say. I couldn't have predicted any of the stuff I have today. Any of it. And that was only 30 years ago. Imagine what is possible 30 years from now that we're not predicting. And I, and I even talked about Uber, right? Uber. 
I mean, soon we're not, many of us, young people today, don't even have cars. They just Uber everywhere. I mean, that's so cool and cheap and efficient. Right? And, and who would have imagined Uber? I mean, I remember when eBay first came out, I said, you got to be crazy. Nobody's going to make money on that. Nobody's going to use eBay. <laughs> Was I wrong? <laughs> I've been so wrong when it comes to the internet. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, so just imagine, imagine. It's hard. Hard to imagine what it's going to be like in 30 years from now or what it's going to be like 100 years from now if we sustain the conditions that allow for that kind of growth, right? if we can sustain them. So um, things are good. And what I want to do, what I want to do is after, after this break, we're going to take a break in a few seconds. I want to shift to talk about why. What is it that makes good stuff possible? What is it that makes progress possible? What is it that has brought people out of poverty? What is it that's created this technology? What is it that makes all these good things possible? And if we can understand that, and if we can know that, and then start fighting for that, I think we have a better chance of winning and sustaining the improvement, sustaining the growth, sustaining, you know, the quality and the improved quality of life that we have. All right. Uh, you're listening to Yaron Brook. I'm uh, here filling in for Mike Pelka, at least until tomorrow. And um, we're going to take a short break now and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. All right, uh, so we've been talking about how good things are, uh, all about the good news. And, and I haven't even touched the surface, really. There's so much more. And, hey, if you, wanna, if you want in on the discussion about good stuff, 888-900-3393. We'd love to hear examples from your life or examples that you know about, about how life has improved dramatically, even over the last 30 years. We're, 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 if you read books, if you read articles, if you read everything, everybody tells you ah, things are just awful. Things are just depressing. If you watch the news, if you if you look anywhere, it just looks like the world is falling apart and everything is just uh, is just horrible. Well, we're going to be contrarians here. So if you want in, you want to let me know how your life has been better. 888-900-3393. Um, but the real question is why? Why are things improving? Uh, why have things improved? And, and the largest improvement in human well-being occurred during the 19th century. The largest improvement of human well-being occurred during the Industrial Revolution, where we went from being, uh, you know, basically life expectancy of, of, of uh, in the 30s, uh, dirt poor subsistence farmers eating uh, uh, everything we consumed, or sorry eating everything we produced, uh, having no surplus, no vacations, no time off, 
no recreation, nothing. That was the 18th century and before. $3 a day, somewhere around that, was, was income in today's dollars, was income of uh, almost everybody on the planet. Everybody living in poverty. Everybody on the planet. 90 plus percent of all people on the planet living in poverty. Two, by the end of the Industrial Revolution, in Western Europe and the United States, basically most people being rich in comparison to what had existed before. Electricity, running water, the beginnings, the beginnings of air flight, technology, all, all these things are starting. That, that's the biggest jump in human well-being, the biggest leap. Now, we've seen a huge leap over the last 30 years because places like Asia have benefited from all the knowledge and all the success of the, of the West and have implemented very, very quickly. Um, and, and the results are astounding. Astounding over there. You have to go to China to appreciate just how astounding the progress has been. Just how unbelievably good uh, life is there in comparison. You, you go to rural China where they're still very, very poor. And you go to a place like that, Shanghai, and it just blows your mind. Uh, and again, the question is, what makes all that possible? And I think the best way to look at this, you can look at it historically, and, and, and you'll get a kind of a political answer, and a political answer is important, but there's a more fundamental answer, and, that, and, uh, answer, and that's to look at your own life. Look at your own life and ask the question, what makes my life better? What improves my life? W when do things get better? When do things get worse? What are the principles by which I can evaluate just from introspecting over my life? Even if you're young, you can do this. What can I do introspecting to my own life to tell whether things, you know, what causes things to improve and what causes things to decline? What causes things to, to, for me to be able to get a better job, to make more money, to live a better life, just broadly? What things do I do? as an individual, that impact my life one way or the other? And, and can I generate any principles from this? And the answer is yes, you can. And the best way to learn about the world is to look at lots of examples and integrate that and, and, and figure out the principle behind them. And, and if you look at your own life, if you introspect about, again, the good stuff and the bad stuff, what you discover is that, you know, well, I'll ask you, what leads to good stuff? When do you succeed and when do you fail? Is there a principle to all the times where you succeeded and to all the times when you failed? Well, let's start with the failure. What leads to individual failure? When do we fail? And I would, I would suggest this, I would propose this, that human failure is always a consequence, a failure that is self-generated, not failure where somebody else comes and clubs you over the head and your life's a failure because they just basically killed you or, or maimed you or whatever. But when it's self-inflicted, when it's self-failure that's sustained, sometimes we fail and then we learn from that failure and we grow from the failure. But real failure, what leads to it? And I, and I think you can see universally, you can see in almost every case, you can see it across the board, Failure is a result of acting on emotion, not 
thought, acting on emotion, letting our emotions dictate truth, letting our emotions dictate action. That's when we fail. We fail when we don't think it through. We fail when we don't consider all the aspects, all the consequences of a decision and action that we take on. Failure almost always is there when reason is absent, when rationality is absent or limited. Failure is there predominantly when people act on emotion, act on whim, act without thinking. Failure is there when people evade, when people don't consider everything purposefully, when they look away because the facts might be uncomfortable. That is what leads to failure, to disappointment, to depression, to failure in life. What leads to success? When you look around the world or around your neighborhood or around your industry, who are the successful people, the most successful people? Now, I know some people are going to say luck. But when you actually examine people's lives, yeah, luck plays some role. Uh, you know, the best example of this is, is, is the lottery, right? There's this big lottery jackpot, $750 million. You could win it. What happens to most people who win the lottery? It turns out, study after study show, that they live miserable, pathetic lives, that they lose a lot of the money, that they don't enjoy it, that, 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 that they, they land up handing it out to distant relatives, or they just invest it badly and they lose it, or they keep it, but they're just miserable because it turns out that money doesn't buy you happiness, not completely. Money in and of itself buys zero happiness. You know what buys happiness? Making money, producing stuff, earning it. That's what leads to happiness. So if you look at successful people, it's not about luck. Luck is fleeting. Luck doesn't give you the satisfaction of truly earning. And therefore, luck is not what leads to success. Again, you, you can be rich, but not successful. Because success is not about money. Success is not about prestige. Success is about happiness. It's about fulfillment. It's about flourishing. That's what real success at life is. It's about living a good life, enjoying it without conflict, without stress, you know, stress, a healthy stress, but without, you know, this internal constant conflict. Ayn Rand called happiness the state of non-contradictory joy, where you're joyous and there's no conflict within that is oppressing that joy. So it's not the joy of, oh, I won the lottery, yay! It's a joy of, I've lived a good life. I've made my life good. I've made some money. I've lived well. So if you look at people who are really successful, people who are truly successful, what has led to that success? What leads to a life of happiness, a life of sustained, non-contradictory joy? What makes it possible? What makes it possible to innovate? What makes it possible? All the good in the world, where does it actually, actually come from? 
if the negative is true, if a lot of the distress, a lot of the pain, a lot of the failure comes from emotion, where does the success, where does the innovation, where does progress, where does the highest standard of living come from? Where does the decline in poverty come from? They all come from the same place. All right. You're listening to Iran Brook filling in from Michael Pelka. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka. All right, you're listening to uh, Yaron Brook filling in for Mike, and um, we are talking good news today. Strange topic uh, to do on the radio, uh, strange topic to cover uh, in this era of all negative news and uh, just talk about the bad stuff. And you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have some negative stuff to say. But I think it's it's important to put perspective on these things and, and to realize how good life is so you can live it. You can live it. If, if you're depressed all the time, if things are all, all, always very, very negative, it's hard to really enjoy life. And I'm all for enjoying life. I'm for happiness. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of happiness. All right. Um, Megan is on the line. She wants to talk about infant mortality. Hey, Megan. Hi, Aaron. Thanks, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm a long-time listener. It's such a fan. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of you do. I, I have some idea of how hard you work, and I'm, I'm <laughs> well, grateful. <thank> you. <laughs> um, I, when you were talking about um, the positives of, of the world we live in today, the first thing I thought about was um, my the most wonderful one-year-old daughter um, of mine. And, you know, when I was when I was about reaching my due date, I expressed some nervousness about going into labor. And my coworkers said, oh, you know, women have been having babies for a long time. And, um, sorry for the background noise. And I said, yeah, but they mostly died. And it's amazing. Like even 200 years ago, most childbirths ended in the death of either the mother, the child, or both. I mean, 75% of kids, you know, never saw the age of five. And I'm, I look at my beautiful daughter and I'm so grateful. I live in an era where there's all kinds of medication and, and, um, and procedures to make sure that she was safe and healthy and, um, and thriving. Absolutely. I mean, the number one cause of death for women was childbirth. I mean, most, many, many women, or a huge percentage of women, didn't survive it. Never, and, and of oh, course, yeah. sometimes the baby did survive. Sometimes the baby didn't survive. But it, it, it the, the progress we've made is astounding, and we, and, and that's great, a great example. When we look at our children, you know, we should say, "Wow, thanks for progress." <laughs> you know, thanks Absolutely. for for medical yeah, progress. Thanks for the States. progress I mean, in walk. Go ahead. Yeah, historically. Um, Life insurance for women was was more expensive for women during childbearing years than after. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so we've come a long way. Where you might worry a little bit before you go into childbirth, but not much because you know 
that you've got, uh, you, in a, you know, if you do the smart, you're in a hospital, you've, you've got nurses, you've got doctors, uh, you've got uh, surgical procedures, you've got all these, uh, the, the, this technology available to you that's going to keep you alive, that's going to keep the baby alive, that's going to keep you both healthy, not just alive, and, and that the chances of a child uh, uh, being born and then dying before the age of 10 are minimal today in, the, in, in America and in, in the Western world and even in the rest of the world now uh, are really minimal and, and you can enjoy your children for, for a long, long time. I mean, that, that's massive. That's huge. That's huge. Great. Thanks, Megan. Yeah, Thanks for still, calling. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Thanks oh, for no, listening. It still happens. Uh, we, there's still stillbirths. There's still women who die in childbirth, oh, yeah. and it's tragic every time. Um, fortunately, that's much, much less the case now than even 100 years ago. Yeah, and, and the fact that it still happens in the United States is, is I think, a travesty. And, and the fact that there's still people who live in such poverty or get such bad health care as, as some people do in the United States is sad and a travesty. And and the cause of that, in my view, is is the degree to which we've socialized medicine in this country. If you have private insurance in the U.S. and and uh, if you have a, a a vibrant competitive insurance market, and uh, you have the best healthcare in the world, but unfortunately, we have created a healthcare system that's priced so many people out of the market because of so much government intervention into our healthcare system. Megan, thanks for calling. It is uh, you know. Uh, I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate you listening, and uh, it makes it easier for me to do what I do when I get uh, positive feedback. Uh, thank you. So thank you. All right, we've got uh, let's see, we got Dave on the line from Portland, Oregon. Hey, Dave. Dave, you there? Uh, yes. Hi, Ron. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, great, great. Yes. Uh, yeah, I wanted to weigh in on the uh, the positive. Uh, things uh, on the call here, and uh, the, the two things that I wanted to share are, uh, one is I've been studying objectivism since 2014, and, you know, I definitely consider myself a work in progress, but but both, you know, personally and professionally, it's made a huge difference in my life, and um, so thank you for that. And That's brilliant. The, the, the second thing is um, I'm a music teacher, and something that technologically that has made a huge difference is a video conferencing for me. Um, you know, as an artist, you know, uh, inspiration, I think, is so key. I'm mostly a teacher. I, I'm not performing as much these days. I'm mostly teaching. Um, but it's afforded me the opportunity to study with, like, some of the best people in the world wow. uh, by video conference. No, absolutely. And, that's amazing. And that's true of every profession. We can now... We can now take classes from superstar teachers who can actually make money by providing education online. Uh, they're not limited to by what universities pay or what schools pay. They can actually deliver education to mass audiences or to selective audiences who are willing to pay a lot of money because these teachers are so good. So it's, 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 it's an incredibly exciting time when you look at technology and you look at what technology makes possible. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was just sending a thank you email looking forward to a coming conference uh, this Sunday. And I thought, man, I've got to give your a call and, <laughs> and share <laughs> that. Well, always good to hear from you, Dave. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. And, and absolutely. I mean, there's another whole way in which we're using and going to use 
the internet to educate ourselves, to you know, put, put aside the, the benefits of education. I could be traveling anywhere in the world, or Megan could be traveling anywhere in the world. My, my kids are too big to talk to me while I'm traveling. But Megan would be traveling anywhere in the world, and she could communicate with her young daughter via, uh, you know, via the internet, via Skype or, or some other software, via, you know, uh, what do you call the, the FaceTime on, on the phone and, and, and have a real eye-to-eye exchange, even if you're 10,000 miles away. I mean, how cool is that? When, I, when my kids were little and I traveled, I could talk to them on the phone, but the phone is just not the same as video conferencing, particularly with little kids. So, yeah, I mean, the technology makes our lives so much better and we we take it for granted and we don't appreciate it and again i want to turn to the question what makes it possible where does it come from so we just talked about what what where bad decisions come from where where the negative in our lives come from i want to turn after this quick break we're going to take to where all the good stuff comes from where progress comes from but where in our own lives success achievement and ultimately, happiness comes from. All right, you're listening to Ron Brook, filling in for Michael Pelka, and we're going to be right back after these messages. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, you still got a, another hour or so with Yaron Brook filling in for Opelka. He'll be back tomorrow. And we're talking about where does all this good stuff come from? How do we get it? But, you know, that's kind of on a societal level. But evil is in, even as individuals. What is the origin of success? Now, people, people say, well, liberty and freedom and capitalism. But where do those come from? That's not self-evident. How do we get capitalism? What is the thing? And, and capitalism is not responsible for my personal success. I mean, the fact that I live in a relatively free country certainly is. But what made it possible for me to succeed in this free country where other people don't? Is it just IQ? Is it my genes, as some would have us believe? Is it the fact that I grew up in a, I don't know, in a particular household with particular parents in a particular environment? Is that what led to my success or anybody's success? No. If you introspect and you think about when you were successful in life and when you fail, we talked about what causes failure, following emotion, evading, not thinking things through. What leads to success is the opposite in a sense. It's thinking. It's using your mind. It's using your reason. It's getting the facts before you make a decision. Thinking it through and integrating. If you suspect that you need more facts, going out and getting them. Not evading. Not evading reality. Not evading your own emotions. Not evading who you are. Not evading who other people are. Facing reality. Dealing with reality as it is. As compared to dealing with reality as you want it to be. As you wish it would be. Dealing in reality as the way you would emotionally like it to be. No, dealing with reality as it is. Challenging yourself intellectually. Not, I'm not talking about here math problems. I'm talking about day-to-day stuff. Using your mind and applying them to everything that you do. What leads to success in life. 
what leads to progress in technology, what leads to reduced child mortality, what leads to more airlines going to more airports in the world, what leads to increased in wealth, what leads to decline in poverty, what leads to success, period, is the human mind, is the application of human reason to whatever problem you have, whatever problem you face or your neighbors face or humanity's faces. It's reason, it's thinking, it's production. And production is what? Production is taking your ideas and applying them in reality. Taking science and trying to use that science to create something that didn't exist before. Call that technology, call that manufacturing, call that industrialization. But that's what the Industrial Revolution did, is it came after the Scientific Revolution, but it required massive amount of thinking of rational actors, free to think, and then free to act on their thinking, to take those scientific principles and apply them to the problems that they saw all around them, and to making life easier, and making life better, and making life longer. Human thought, human rationality, human reason is what leads to all the good in the world. It what leads to good in your life. If you stop, if you think, if you consider, if you evaluate, if you integrate, if you examine rationally the world around you, the problems you face, you will do fine. You know, bombing accidents, bombing things you cannot predict. You will do fine. If you evade, if you emote, if you're a wind worshiper, if you just go after stuff for the sake of having stuff, you will suffer. You will not be successful. You will not do well in life. You will not achieve happiness, which is the ultimate goal, in my view. So if we have to venerate anything, it's we must venerate reason. I mean, think about all the benefits we have gotten from science, all the, all the, all the, all the stuff we have around us that is a product of science and engineering. There it's obvious. But think about our relationships with other people. Do our relationships with other people improve when we think about what we're doing and think about how to do it? Or do they improve when we just go by our feelings? In every aspect of our lives, thinking makes us better. Using reason makes us better. Reason. The human mind, our faculty of observing reality, understanding it, integrating it into new knowledge, thinking conceptually in, in every realm of life. That is the way in which we survive as human beings. We cannot survive as a species unless we think. And that is the way in which our life improves. That is the way in which we achieve things both financially and spiritually. The thing we have, the most important faculty we have, the one that makes it possible for us to survive and thrive is our mind, is our reason. All right, we're going to talk more about this in a kind of political environment that you need to create to allow reason to thrive when we come back after this break. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. 
This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, my final hour filling in for Mike Opelka. Let's make it good, right? Um, we've been uh, we've been doing a lot of good news today and a lot of uh, a lot of the good stuff happening in the world. And I think and I think we're we're wrapping up that discussion by discussing what leads to good stuff. What is the source of progress? What is the source of happiness? What is the source of success uh, in one's personal life and in an economy, in a culture, in a world? Where does the good stuff that we have around us come from? And uh, where does the bad stuff come from? And I have argued that the good, the good comes when we exercise our minds, when we use our reason, when we think before we act, when we embrace reason and thinking as our tools, as our means of cognition and our guides to action. And, you know, that doesn't mean ignoring your emotions. Emotions are great. Emotions are how we live our life, how we experience our life. You want to have your emotions ultimately aligned with your thinking. It sometimes takes time. All it means is you don't act on those emotions until you've thought it through. You know, unless you're in an emergency. Put aside emergencies. It means that whim, emotion, are not tools of cognition. They're not how we know about the world. They might be how we know about our internal state, and they're important to tell us about our internal state. But if we really want human beings to be successful, what we need to teach them, what we need to emphasize to them is that they need to think, that they need to use their reason and how to think. We need to give them the tools on how to do it. It's not self-evident. How to define one's terms, what a, how, to, how, to, how to think conceptually is not easy. It's, it's, it's why we need a robust educational system, why education is the most important industry in the world, it's so important, and I'll say something controversial and leave it there, so important that I don't think the government should be involved in it at all. Too important to leave up to government bureaucrats. I want the marketplace. I want the innovation, the, the competition of a marketplace to be in education, not just in making iPhones and making uh, apps, but in actually the most important area. Teaching people how to use their minds, ultimately, how to think. Not self-evident. Progress is not self-evident. You know, take some simple examples. Uh, if you're going to, uh, if, if you're 10, 20, 30,000 years ago, you're still a hunter-gatherer. Think about, think about even hunting. The amount of thinking that had to go into it. To design weapons, design traps, design strategies. You can't run off chase down a bison, jump on it, bite into it, and then eat it. You can't do that. We're not equipped as human beings to do that. We have to trap it. We have to kill it with weapons. And then we have to skin it. We have to open it up, not with our teeth, but with a tool. And then we, we, we use the fur as clothing. But I, do, does anybody out there know how to turn animal fur into clothing? I don't. No idea. Somebody had to figure that out. Some genius of their time. Thinking 
is what makes all progress pos- possible. But, but, you know, in our personal lives, think about human relationships. How many times have you messed up with other people because you jumped into bed with them or jumped into a relationship with them without really thinking about it, without really evaluating their character, without really judging them? Thinking needs to be applied to everything one does. How many times have you messed up a friendship because you acted on emotion without really thinking it through, without taking into account all the different possibilities? How many times have you screwed up your career because you didn't think it through, because you didn't plan, because you didn't have a strategy? You don't have to be super smart to have a strategy about your career. You just have to take your life seriously to have a strategy about your career. But when we don't do that, we mess up. Or even about your own health requires thinking. You know, there are too, way too many obese people in the United States. And most of that is a lack of thinking. Thinking, using your mind, using your mind to, 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 to initiate the will to control how much you eat or to exercise more. And to think about what's healthy and what's not healthy. That means having a strategy about your life, having a strategy about eating. But that has to be initiated. Your feelings are not going to tell you. Your feelings are not going to tell you. So when you're fully integrated, when you've got it really down and you've thought about all these things and you completely understand them, then your emotions become integrated with your thoughts. And your emotions then are much more aligned with reality. Even then, you have to be careful because it's hard on the spot to evaluate emotions. Whereas you can look, you can see, you can think, you can get evidence, you can get facts and evaluate. So always think. I mean, one of the great tragedies in America today is the fact that there is a vast number of people who are significantly unhappy. Um, that are depressed, suicidal, suicide rates are very high right now, that are drinking, deaths because of uh, uh, drinking and, and destroying one's liver, I guess, and destroying one's health are way up. Opioid addiction, which is a lot of it is psychological. I mean, some of it has to do with, with the way healthcare is practiced. I'm going to leave that aside, not an expert on that. But, but a lot of it has to do with, with people wanting an escape, Wanting an escape, but drugs are an escape. Drug use generally, to the extent that drug use is popular, the fact that so many people are excited about the legalization of marijuana because they get to use it suggests to me there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, at the very least neurotic, depressed, whatever, and they need an escape because that's what marijuana is. For the most part, it's an escape. So I'm, I'm all for legalizing marijuana, just so we clear. I'm also for legalizing harder drugs because I think that's the way you solve these problems is by legalizing them and bringing them out from under, from the, from the black market. But I'm not celebrating because I get to use them because I don't use them because I don't want to escape reality. Reality is really cool. Reality is really good. Life is really cool and really good. I don't want to dull my brain. My brain is the source of the goodness in my life. I want to sharpen my brain. Now, if you had a drug for that, we could talk. Right? But 
I, I don't know if you're familiar with this statistic, but there's this statistic out there that says that right now, uh, white men, uh, lower middle class between the ages, I think it's between the ages of 35 and 55 or something like that, have a declining life expectancy. For the first time in American history, a group of Americans is actually dying younger than they did a generation ago. And a lot of that is attributed to suicide, uh, heavy drinking, and drug use. I would say it's a symptom of a society that doesn't respect reason, that doesn't respect education, that doesn't respect productiveness, going out and working for a living and having a career and planning out a career. And I know a lot of these people lost their jobs. Go find another one. Change careers. In spite of all the regulations and all the controls and the slow economic growth, there's still plenty of opportunities out there in the world. I think that this, you know, tragedy of depression in this country is a consequence of our educational system, of the dulling of the American mind, of, 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 the, of, the, of the destroying of the minds of students, of not teaching them how to think, but more importantly than that, not teaching them the value of thinking, not teaching them the value of reason. That's the ultimate cause of the opium epidemic, opioid epidemic, the ultimate cause of, of binge drinking in college, the ultimate cause of the increase in suicide rates among teenagers and among older adults is they haven't been taught what it means to live, what it means to live as a human being. They haven't been taught the value and the importance of using their mind. And they haven't been taught how to do it. They've spent their time in circles emoting to one another. All right. I'm going to take a break now, take a breath, calm down, and uh, come back and talk more about the importance of reason and rationality, it's a negative consequence when we don't do it, but also what kind of political economic environment do we need in order to allow it to flourish? You're listening to Ron Brook on Pure Opelka, and we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. So in spite of all, they are caused by a sudden mentality that people have accepted, a sudden entitlement mentality, sitting around waiting for stuff to happen to them, sitting around waiting for jobs to show up, sitting around waiting, uh, demanding that the job be around the corner. I've said this on, on shows many times, but, you know, if you're in southern Ohio and you don't have a job, get in your car and drive to northeast Arkansas or to Texas, where there are plenty of jobs right now in dynamic economies with a lot of upside, with a high quality of life. What do you need to stay in South Ohio for? So our ancestors didn't stick around Europe to be slaughtered, you know, if they, if they were Jews or whatever. They didn't stick around Europe to, to die of starvation if they were Irish during the famine, they got in boats and left. And in those days when you left, you couldn't go back. You'd never see your relatives again, and it took months, and you didn't know where you were going. Now it's easy. Get in a car, go find a job. Now, it's not that simple. 
because we haven't been taught to think, think that way. We haven't been taught to fail. You know, our, our teachers protect us from failure, shield us from failure. They shield us from thinking. They shield us from really engaging with the world. They don't tell us what actually leads to success in life. You know, we're sent around in high school now. All these kids have to do community service. Community service is not what changes the world. Community service doesn't make you a better person. Community service doesn't help the poor long term. Community service doesn't help you as a human being be a better person. You want to be a better person? Go work for a living. Have, have teenagers work in the summer. Have them do paper routes. Have them actually learn where money comes from, where wealth comes from, and fail them in class once in a while. They need to learn how to fail. But they need to learn that the tool for success is not other people, it's not government, it's not their parents, it's their own mind. At whatever level they can use their mind, at whatever ability they have, we're not all born the same with the same level of intelligence, but whatever your intelligence level is, you can still use it. We all have the capacity to reason. We all have the capacity to think. We all have the capacity to have a career, even if it's, it's something simple. We can do a good job. We can do a bad job. But if you teach them how to feel pride in their work, if you teach them how to think through their work and, and, and think about their work and, and figure out how to do it better, and, and, and succeed and, and, and set values and, and strive to those values and set goals and achieve goals and achieve greater and greater goals. That, that's how you achieve success and happiness and fulfillment. It's the opposite of, the, of depression and alienation and, you know, and, and, and suicide and drinking and drugs that are so prevalent in the culture we have today. Right? You need to get over it. You are the only person responsible for your life. If you're over 18, nobody else is responsible for your life. You're it. And if your teachers haven't given you the tools, then damn those teachers. If the culture is not, is not giving you the tools, damn that culture. But you know what? You know what? It doesn't matter. You're the one who has to live with it. So figure out what the tools you need are. Figure them out. Learn them yourself. Today with the internet, you can learn anything, anything on the internet. Figure it out. Set a goal. Aspire to do something. Aspire to be somebody. And go out there and do it. Live. This is all about just living. Not wasting your life. Get out of bed. Get off the drugs. Stop drinking that alcohol. And go and live. You got only one shot at this. It ain't, you ain't going to get, there's no, uh, what would you call it, Groundhog's Day. It's not going to happen to you. One shot. One shot. And it all boils down to take your mind seriously. Don't let your emotions over, it be so overwhelming that you can't think yourself out of whatever predicament you have. And get help. If, if you really need help, if you really can't do it yourself, then get help. There are people out there who can help you. Unfortunately, I think most of the people out there to help you don't have the tools to really help you, which means to emphasize to you what I've just been saying.
the importance of your own mind, the importance of thinking, the importance of reason, the importance of being productive, having a job. Too much of today's do-gooders and, and psychologists and so on are, are, are focused on, yeah, you're entitled and somebody else needs to help you. All right. Uh, so uh, that's my uh, self-help segment of the show today. Uh, but I, I think I think we want to we want to now broaden this. We want to now ask the question of, okay, what kind of environment? What kind of culture? What kind of political system? What kind of economic system would make this easy? Would make it? It would still require effort. Thinking is hard, but would make it easier, and would make it possible for us as an economy, as a culture, to grow and thrive and be successful, not just as individuals, but as a culture. What kind of political system, what kind of economic system allow people to achieve happiness, to, to, to pursue it and achieve it? All right, we'll do that when we get back. You're listening to Ron Brook on Pure Opelka, and we'll be back right after this break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we're heading into our last half an hour, filling in for uh, Michael Pelka. He'll be back tomorrow. And uh, let me just remind you that if you want to listen to more Yaron Brook, uh, the Yaron Brook Show is on the Blaze every Sunday from 2 to 4 East Coast time. Every Sunday between 2 to 4 East Coast time. And actually, next month, I'm going to be broadcasting that show from some pretty crazy places in the world uh, uh you know it's it's going to be interesting but we're going to do uh, one show from baku azerbaijan you can go look it up on the uh, on the atlas where that is and then one show i'm going to be doing from geneva france uh, geneva france i can't believe i said that geneva switzerland oh my god my swiss guys are gonna give me hell for that forever uh geneva switzerland and uh, so that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to do one of these shows uh, from foreign land as I travel around the world, giving talks to uh, mostly student audiences. Um, all right. So we've talked about what leads to success. We talked about what is, uh, you know, what is uh, at the end, what is good for an individual human being and how an individual human being can be successful and uh, be successful in their life, in their career, in everything. And it, 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 at the end of the day, boils down to using their mind, using their reason and, and taking their life seriously enough to think it through, to plan, to consider and not get carried away by whim, by emotion, by by everything else, right? By, by, by non-cognition, if you will, by other people. How do we create a culture like that? How do we create a society like that? How do we create a, a culture and a society that reinforces that, that supports that, and that really makes that a norm and, and, and possible and, and really a norm? 
And uh, I'd say that what we need is, what does the human mind need in order to flourish? What do individuals need in order to use their mind? What is the enemy of reason, the enemy of thought, the enemy of rationality, the enemy of truth, the enemy of seeking truth? We talked about seeking truth yesterday. The enemy is force. The enemy is coercion. The enemy is an authority with a gun. The enemy is anybody trying to impose their will or their ideas on you. Force is the enemy of the individual. It's the enemy of happiness. It's the enemy of progress. It's the enemy of success. It's the enemy of thinking, of reason, of rationality. So the kind of world we want to live in is a world without force. It's a world without coercion. It's a world without authorities that are there to implement their authority, to force their ideas down your throat. Now, how do you live in a world like that? Because that's tough. There, there, there are bad people out there. There are people who want to kill us. There are people who want to who want to steal from us. Fewer than one would have expect, right? Fewer in a civilized country than one would expect. But there are people. There are the frauds. There are the criminals. There are terrorists in the, you know, coming over from the more barbaric part of the world who want to kill us, who want to impose their ideas on us, want to impose Sharia law in this case on us, and they want to kill us. So what do we do? Right? You have to defend yourself. And in my view, that is why we institute government. We create a government not to live our life for us, not to give us stuff, not to, you know, intervene in our day-to-day -day life, not to become an authority over us, not to tell us who to trade and who not to trade with, who to be friends with and not be friends with. We create government to protect us from the initiation of force by bad people, whether they're domestic or whether they're foreign. That's it. That's why we create government. So government is the institution that has the monopoly over the use of retaliatory force. They shouldn't be allowed to use force against us. They cannot become the authority over our lives. Shouldn't become. They can become. Unfortunately, they are becoming. They should be there to protect us from people, from bad people, or from mistaken people. Or from our own, you know, from, from, from conflicts that we get to with other people. It might be innocent conflicts. That's why you have a judiciary system. That's why you can sue people. That's why you have a, you know, you have a whole mechanism. You create whole legal mechanisms to arbitrate disputes that we might have with people. But that's the job of government. That's it. It's to protect my mind. It's to protect me from force. It's to allow me to think, allow me to plan, allow me to strategize so I can live a good life. It's government is there to protect me so I can start a business. Think about today. Today, government is there to regulate and control and, and make it as difficult as possible for me to start a business. How upside down is that? But no, government is there to protect me so I can start a business. So crooks can't come around and steal my stuff. So when I sign a long-term contract with a supplier or with a customer, there's a legal system. That, that allows me to, to, to follow through on that contract and, and penalizes me if I don't, or if they don't, penalizes them if they don't.
government is there to protect. It's there to create the world in which we can use our minds to our maximum potential and maximum ability. Think about why is it that we had an industrial revolution when we had an industrial revolution? Why was suddenly people, suddenly people became really, really smart? Suddenly people figured out how to build steam engines? How, why, why then? Because for the first time in human history, the human mind had been liberated, liberated from dogma, primarily religious dogma, liberated from kings and queens and authorities and dictators of various sorts, liberated from a social framework that said you had to conform, liberated in the sense that for the first time in human history, maybe with the exception of Greece, the mind became venerated, reason became venerated. It was called ultimately, the, 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 the pre-industrial revolution was called the age of reason. Suddenly, suddenly reason was respected, thinking was respected, planning was respected. And then people went out and used their mind to improve life, to build, to create, to make. They applied all the stuff that had been discovered during the scientific revolution, again, a product of reason, to the problem of human survival, to the problems of human life, electricity, running water, steam engine, railroads, automobiles, flight, and ultimately computers. But for the first time, they had the freedom to do all that. They weren't worried about the gangs murdering them or butchering them. They weren't worried about the church burning them alive at the stake. They weren't worried about offending people. They could speak their mind. And they could produce their mind. This is what the founding fathers gave us. They gave us freedom. Freedom to think and to act on those thoughts. And that's why the 19th century was so productive. That's why the 19th century saw the largest advancements in human history, in human well-being. All right, we have to take another last short break, and then we'll be back to wrap it up. If you're listening to Ron Brook, filling in for Michael Pelka, we'll be back after this. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. So like Ayn Rand, I am a huge advocate for capitalism and for freedom and for the government staying out of my life. But I'm, I'm an advocate for those things because I'm an advocate for my own life. Because I want to be able to live the best life that I can live. I, I care about my own happiness and my own success and my own flourishing. I am self-interested. And I understand that the only way for me to be successful in life is to use my mind, to think, to apply thinking. And the only political system that leaves people free to think and, 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 and act on those thoughts is capitalism. That's why I'm a capitalist. I'm a capitalist because I understand the role of reason in human life. I'm a capitalist because I understand that reason, thinking, 
Rationality is man's means of surviving and thriving and flourishing. And if I want the government out of my life, and I want, and only when we get the government out of our life can we have, can, can we get people now starting to take reason in, in their mind seriously? Because if we get government, for example, the first thing I would want to get government out of, what is the one industry you would want to get government out of tomorrow? Tomorrow, if I had to pick one, if I could abolish one department in the federal government, but it's not just the federal government. The problem is this is primarily regulated by the states and by local government. If I could do one thing, it would be to abolish public education. Abolish it completely. And then encourage private entrepreneurs to enter the space. I mean, we could do tax credits, we could do vouchers, whatever. But get government out of education. Break up those evil, evil teacher unions who care more about, much more about the teacher pension than they do about educating our kids. Get education on a private footing so that companies compete for our kids. Companies compete to create and to innovate the best educational product possible. Companies compete to, to, to provide us with information about what works and what doesn't work in education so to, 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 to facilitate and to make possible parents taking control over their kids' education, choosing between schools. That's the number one thing I would do before the EPA, before the, any, any of the regulatory agencies, before lowering taxes, before all of the other stuff. Privatize education. Because education is the key. Because, because, teaching kids how to use their mind, and again, more importantly, that using their mind is important, is the most important thing you can do. Now, parents should be doing this already. Now, don't wait for the teachers. But not every parent has the time. Not every parent thinks about these things. That's what teachers are for, to teach kids the importance of using their mind and then how to do it. So, we need freedom in education to support kids, grown-ups, everybody, understanding the role of the human mind in human life. So, we need capitalism. We need freedom. And, and start with education and then dismantle the rest of the federal government and, and the state governments and the local governments and all of the people out there who want to tell me how to live, who want to tell me what to think, who want to tell me what to do. And, 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 and let, me just, let me just go off on, on Donald Trump for a minute. I mean, this guy wants to tell me who I can hire, who I can trade with. He now wants to tell me whether I can trade with, with somebody in China or Mexico or Canada. He wants to dictate the terms of me dealing with them. Let me be clear, and I'll do a whole show on this, you know, and if, if, you, if you start listening to my show on Sundays between 2 and 4 East Coast time, you'll hear the show when I do it. But I have a right to trade with whoever I want. If, I, if that person happens to be a Chinese person, if that person happens to be a Mexican, if that person happens to be a South Korean, why is it any of Donald Trump's business? Why is it any business of our government at all? They're there to protect me, not to impede my freedom, not to impede my ability to go out there and try to make my life better. 
And if I believe making my life better is by trading with somebody in China, then it's none of their business. Now, if China was an enemy, like, like Iran or North Korea, yeah, I'm all for banning trade with the enemy. But yeah, let's define the enemy. I'm all for that. Not having trade with them. Sure, but there are only like three, four countries in the world that would probably qualify as the enemy of the United States of America. Most of them are not enemies. Mexico is not an enemy. Canada is not an enemy. So, because I value my life, I value trade. Trade is win-win. Trade improves my life. And all the all economists who look at this, and you know, you don't need this economic data because trade is a fundamentally a moral issue. I have a moral right to trade with who I want, and the government should just get out of my way. The only, only, only legitimate trade policy is zero tariffs. Get out of the way. Lower unilaterally. The United States should lower tariffs to zero unilaterally tomorrow. That's the only moral thing to do. And from an economic perspective, it is the only logical thing to do. It will raise the wealth of Americans dramatically. But nobody, nobody talks about that. Everybody, everybody wants to tinker. Everybody wants to control in politics. This is why I never go into politics, right? Politics is about imposing your will on other people. It's about today being an authority over other people, telling people how to live, telling people who to trade with, telling people how much of their own money they can keep. I don't want to have anything to do with politics. Now, if politics was the way it should be, protecting, then we could talk. All right. So today, we talked about all the good stuff in the world. We talked about the fact that good stuff in the world comes from the human mind. And we talked about capitalism as the only, only political system in human history to protect the human mind. And that's why it's so successful. And that's why, that's why we have all the good stuff out there from better healthcare to better food. To, to, to better technology. All right, you've listened to your own book on the Michael Pelka Show. Goodbye. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network.